You are listening to the Slow Living Podcast, and I'm your host, Stephanie O'Day. What if I told you that you could truly have the life of your dreams, the life you've always wanted, one filled with abundance, joy, and a sense of purpose? It's absolutely possible, and I see it each and every day with my coaching clients. It all starts with learning how to slow down. You deserve to live the life you've always dreamt about. Let's get started. Hi there, Slow Down Society. Steph here, and we're on episode 111 of the Slow Living Podcast, and I am thrilled that we have an actual doctor here today. Dr. Emily Bashaw is joining us, and she is going to give us a whole bunch of tips and tricks on how to slow down and also stay optimistic this holiday season. So we're creeping into it, whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. And Dr. Bashaw is the co-host of the Optimistic American Podcast and is the author of Addictive Ideologies. And what's kind of cool is we started this American dream. So in my brain, there were six episodes. And so this will be episode number 105. So one, love it that the podcast name is Optimistic American, because there's definitely chatter that the American dream is dead. So you're here at the right time. And then also, Addictive ideologies. We're going into the New Year's and everyone wants to kind of revamp their life. So, Emily, thank you for being here so much today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me on your show. All right. So let's dive on in. <laughs> we unpacked a whole bunch here. So if, if the idea is that people feel overwhelmed, people feel a little burnt out, they're trying as hard as they can to slow down and keep it all together. But now the holidays are here and you throw in a whole bunch of stuff that you can't control. So so how do you go into these kind of family situations and stay optimistic? Yeah, I would say, you know, really prioritize what is important to you so that you're not just responding to the chaos around you because especially during the holidays, it can feel really chaotic. And there's a lot of demands and it's supposed to be a joyful season and we're supposed to be happy and celebrating. And yet, you know, maybe there's conflicts at work or conflicts in your relationship or um, you're unhappy about something going on in your life or your weight or whatever it is that's going on. Or you have an injury or some other health issues. I mean, there could be so many things that life is happening that is concurrently running with, and you're supposed to be joyful and happy during this time. So, you know, so, really, so what do we do here? <laughs> so, yes, I agree with you. I feel like hashtagging all the things. Yes. Yes. Yeah, strategizing is going to be so important and really prioritizing what are your needs? What is important to you? Really know what, when and how to say no to things, even if it's celebratory, um, so that you're preserving yourself and not just um, really running your energy thin. So you're being an energy miser is what I call it, um, because we have expendable internal resources. And so it's important to just think about how do I refuel and recharge myself? Where and when and how do I want to give of myself? And in what ways? Am I giving of myself that is also recharging me? And everyone's different. You know, some people are more 
introverted. And so having to go out to all these social events can be really exhausting. Or if you're an extroverted person, sometimes going to all these different events is really um, encouraging and supportive. And you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while or reconnecting with family you haven't seen in a while. So really knowing yourself um, and making that time for self-care is going to be important. A lot of times if we're not paying attention, we can end up expending a lot of our energy worrying or being concerned by minutiae and minute details that are really not integral or relevant to our existence. And somehow yet they become so important. Yeah. And, and that can happen out of habit. It just, it happens. You know, there's just so many things being pulled at us um, at all times. So I think being very deliberate and intentional about what you spend time on. And sometimes we have to do hard things and see people that we don't necessarily want to see during the holidays or spend time with our less favorite people. (laughs) Um, And that's okay too. I think it's good practice. It's good to do. It's good to build those struggle muscles Um, and sometimes lean in into situations that are challenging or hard or evoke a certain emotion from us or um, remind us of histories that we're preferring to forget. And Mm -hmm. it's okay to be triggered. Uh, Mm -hmm. I really recommend, you know, I'm a big proponent of anti-fragility, which is rather than, you know, seeking safety, build strength, build courage. Um, And the only way we can do that is leaning in when, um, into some difficult, challenging circumstances so we can um, prove to self, prove to ourselves that we can get through it and have the resources to be able to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're definitely speaking our language here because um, there's five steps to slow living. And number one is to declutter all the stuff that's not working for you. And so you're talking about boundaries and, and saying no to things and um, and honoring yourself and your body and your whims. And then two is know where you're headed, your your GPS um, so for you, before we hit record, you said that you are a mom to an almost three-year-old. So that's kind of a big age going into the holidays. So how do you, as a mom, help do all the things and still, and, and, and she's a little girl, is that right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Girl. Okay. So I have three girls, so I know all the stuff. So, <laughs> so how do you make grandma and, and, and your aunties and all this stuff who wants her maybe to wear a frilly dress and tights and patent leather shoes when she doesn't want to and she just wants to stay in Dora the Explorer pajamas all day with peanut butter smeared on her face. So, like, how do you do that without cracking up? Um, you know, I for for some things, you just have to embrace it. Right. And and it's OK that others want to pass judgment. They they are. Okay. <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. Okay. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you like protect yourself when you know grandma's giving you evil eye? <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I'll use humor to diffuse, but still bring attention and draw awareness, um, to what is happening and the, the tens and the, the tendencies and habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and other times I'll say, you know, it's okay. I can still preserve my happiness and joy knowing that 
um, you know, another person's passing judgment on me or my daughter. Uh, I, I think it's really important to learn not to take things personally. I think mm. that's such an important thing to be practicing right now. Um, and lends itself to what's happening globally and nationally, um, even interpersonally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes be able to, to brush it off and say, mm-hmm. it's okay. That person has a right to their opinion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my daughter is choosing to have peanut butter smeared on her face <laughs> or okay. pajamas. And I'm going to embrace that because I want her to choose her own person and mm. rather than, you know, what is imposed upon her. And this is one of those things, you know, she's going to have other things imposed upon her in life. I don't have to be the authoritarian at all times. And, and I can embrace the little girl inside of her. Yeah. Which honestly, probably all of us wish that we could have just been three when we were three instead of needing to be a little lady and, and all of the things that were kind of uh, pushed down upon us. So do you recommend then if if you're going into a Thanksgiving dinner or, or a Christmas Eve dinner or a function where you don't necessarily like the people and you do think they're going to trigger you or you're going to feel judged, do you suggest that that people kind of role play a little bit beforehand or journal it out or or try and figure out, well, Uncle Blah Blah is gonna really bring up politics and it's gonna really upset me. Like like how do you manage that? That's a really good point. I would say from the outset, knowing what you know going into this situation, what do you want to get out of it? Um, how do you want to walk away from it feeling? And what do you need to do? What's in your own power and control and ability in order to see that through and make that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think sometimes, you know, we can get so riled up and take politics so personally. And it's hard to see, okay, well, this person may be entitled, is entitled to having their own view and perspective. Um, and I think when you really consider, well, is the relationship more important to me or is proving that I'm mm. right? Oh, I think we have to do that all over again. Say that again, because that is absolutely true. Because we do have that sort of, I am right. I've done my research and I'm armored with research and I'm going to prove, prove it. And this is all my evidence and I'm going to lay it out at the table. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I had a really difficult conversation with a family member yesterday that, um, you know, on something that I was concerned, I was just picking up on, on an issue that we just weren't seeing eye to eye. And I was, um, experiencing some really negative judgment and it was, it was hurting me. It hurt me. It hurt. And it was hurting our relationship because now I'm in the place of, I have this information. I don't know what to do with it. And, by making sense of it, I might be exacerbating my own assumptions and interpretations that may or may not necessarily be true for her. And so I had to confront her gently on it and did it in the most respectful, humane way possible. Uh, and I think it, it was uncomfortable for both of us. And I think both of us also saw it coming. And I said to her at the outset, 
I really respect you and I love you and I don't want to lose this relationship over this. But when you say this, this is what mm-hmm. I hear and mm-hmm. this is how it feels for me. And, and it makes me feel like I, I can't trust you if that's true. And, and that concerns me because you matter to me. Our relationship matters. I love you. You're my sister. We travel the world together. We do all of these things together. Um, and yet it's challenging. Yeah. Um, and so how do we navigate that? And I, I put our relationship before ideology. Mm-hmm. I, and I said, it's okay to disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really tried to boundary our conversation more about our relationship and, and how can we preserve that yeah. rather than me trying to point out errors in our thinking or errors in our judgment. Yeah. Or I, so, so first off, I'm highly impressed by that. Um, <laughs> because like cognitively, you know, not you meaning you personally, Dr. Emily, but, but like humans in general know that's what we're supposed to do, but then emotions take over. So how did you get yourself in a spot of having so much regulation over your emotions? Because chances are you didn't pop a Xanax before you called your sister. So how'd you do that? <laughs> I did yoga. <laughs> okay, so I do like yoga. Also, I've never had a Xanax. I've only heard about them on The Real Housewives, and they sound great, but no, no, no. But <laughs> Okay. So, okay. So you made sure you were in a really good place and, and this conversation wasn't sprung upon you. Totally. Yes. And, and that is something I I recommend to my clients and people that I work with clinically and professionally is that, um, it's, it's best to be reflective rather than reactive and know when your emotions are getting the best of you because you're, you're not going to be speaking um, from a place that's more likely going to be heard by the other side. Yeah. They're just going to shut you down and all you're going to be doing is getting into this moral superiority argument yeah. and who is right over the other person, who gets to win the argument. And that was the last thing I wanted because I knew that would ultimately destroy our relationship. Yeah. And I was putting our relationship before ideology and before being right. Um, and it's hard to do. I compartmentalize all the time. I think this okay. is a very useful strategy. And I really had to narrow down what is my, like, if I walked away from this conversation with her, how am I viewing it being successful? And is it that I ultimately changed her perspective and now she thinks like me and that makes me feel better about myself? No, no. that will not work. <laughs> um, and uh, and maybe that's something that we digest and we work through mm-hmm. and chew on over time. It had to be really limited. And it was really just a matter of letting her know how I felt and that I was hurt and that she matters and I care about her. And how can we fix this? Yeah. Um, and that that approach worked. It was not threatening. She um, wasn't defensive. I wasn't defensive going in. Yeah. I wasn't accusatory going in. Um, I was open. I was vulnerable. I was concerned mm-hmm. and, and I was expressive. And I, I think all of those things led to her hearing me and better enabled us to be able to have this difficult conversation. And yeah. come to some kind of, conclusion at the end of it like even though this other part's not resolved we at least 
both agreed to preserve the relationship, that that mattered to yeah. us. I, I like that. And I like the idea that in this particular situation, it was very important that both parties felt whole and as if, um, you were both understood. And, and what's different sometimes, like when you're going into a family situation where you only see people once or twice a year, and um, sometimes people have the thought process of all we do is make small talk and they don't really know who I am. And so I have an hour <laughs> to kind of vomit out everything I think and, and everything I am in order for this other person to know me. And that doesn't work if you're only seeing someone once or twice a year. And it's a-okay to stick to small talk in that kind of situation. Um, does that make sense to you? Do you see what I'm talking about? I'll get on the phone with, with someone and, the, and they'll lament over how their, their cousin doesn't really know them, but then they haven't done the work along the way throughout the calendar year to get to that point. Whereas you, in your situation, you're, you're heavily intertwined. Yeah. Um, I would say, where is your responsibility and accountability? I, so I do a lot of work in the forensic system as well as an expert, um, and evaluating people who are facing charges of domestic terrorism, first degree murder, um, like really horrific violent crimes. And, and it's not uncommon to hear them not taking accountability or responsibility or feeling remorse for the crimes they've committed and really just blaming the victim or blaming the outsider. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's some sense of self-preservation in that when you don't take accountability or responsibility, because you could maintain your sense of self and, and in, in the work that I do clinically, that tells me that the ego is quite fragile, that there's a deeper insecurity that's happening, that the person is not strong enough to really confront their failures, confront their pain, confront their guilt, um, confront their shame. I love it that you negotiate in that way because you have a three-year-old and people are constantly talking about they feel like they're being held hostage by their two or their three-year-old tantruming and they're taking it personally. And you just gave us all the tools on how to step away from the situation. Yes, they're not (laughs) rational. They're a terrorist. I love this. I love this. This is so helpful. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, it's challenging. You know, as a mother, <laughs> two-year-old. You want to do a good job. Whereas when you're at work, you can't compartmentalize it because whatever, they're going to pay me anyway. But, but you have such like ownership over this tiny little bang baby being you want to adult up and be a responsible member of society. So, so yes, your ego is in play because you you want your family to like you. You want your children to behave a certain way. Yeah, and I really encourage choices for her. I think that's really important. Um, you know, my my view on discipline is um, rewarding good behavior, reward the behavior that you want to see more of, really bring joy and spontaneity and let the child lead at times so that they can build their sense of self and confidence in their identity. Um, have yes. them contribute. Yes. <laughs> to the I, I agree. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I think it's limit certain things. Um, you know, I try diverting attention if she's really focused on something that she's not getting and how upsetting that is for her. Um, trying to distract her and refocus her attention on something else. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't. Uh, I really try and be mindful of not engaging in a power struggle right. with her. And I think a lot of times the tantrum is a power struggle. They don't have the words. They can't really express themselves yet. Um, something that just happened to them that they don't like, or they want a certain thing that they're not getting. Um, and, yes. and it is a power struggle. And so I do this even with the clients that I see, um, as I really try to come and sit with them on their side of the table and look at the problem with them rather than being on the opposing side so that they're, you know, it's not that they're fighting with me. They're fighting about maybe what I represent. Maybe that's authority. Yeah. And I could look at that issue with them and not take it personally. Uh, and yeah. no, you're, you're absolutely correct. So I work in a school district and, um, and, and have a background in, in child psychology and development and, and used to run preschool centers and all this stuff, which, uh, so yes, agree, <laughs> agree. Like I'm, so when I, I, I talk about stepping into Mrs. O'Day, so Mrs. O'Day is really, really, really good at, uh, managing her emotions and staying calm in emergencies <laughs> and, and, and not letting a difficult parent poke at me. But in real life, um, sometimes Steph as a person kind of acts out. <laughs> so uh, I, I can code switch with the best of them, but, but real life Steph sometimes does come out. <laughs> yeah. It's challenging to do, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, especially in our working professional world, we learn to contain so much and manage so much stress um, and compartmentalize so much that when it comes into our personal life, sometimes we decompensate. But it's OK because, you know, that's a safe space to decompensate right. and no one's really aside from your partner or children going to be there to judge you. Um so that you could kind of hold it together in these other spaces. Um, It's okay that that happens every now and then, and probably the holidays are a time that that would bring it on. Uh, But I would be concerned if that was somebody's real like MO, um, because what that says to me is that they're really struggling Mm -hmm. uh, across all. Yeah. Uh, I'd want to look at that at a deeper level. And so, um, I have a lot of help. Like our, our adult to child ratio is about four to one. And, and I'm constantly trying to get more adults into that ratio. So so if somebody's listening to us right now and, and they know, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm flying out and, and I'm going into this kind of probably hostage, hostile situation where Everyone in the house that I'm going to go spend the holidays in, everyone's tension is high and everyone feels like, like they're hanging on by a string. Um, since we're not advocating for self-medicating, what, what would be the, the best way to kind of do a reset before you step into what you know might be a really uncomfortable situation? Yeah, I'd say master your emotions. Um, take a hawk's eye view of the situation. Um, 
try and exercise some compassion for other people and what they might be struggling with. Um, and by making sense of it or drawing some meaning from it, it could diffuse your threat, diffuse mm-hmm. the perception of threat that you're um, interpreting uh, because we also have our own biases and assumptions and lenses that we see the world through. And sometimes it helps us. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but when we, you know, are most emotionally provoked is usually when we feel threatened mm-hmm. um, or we feel powerless or we have beliefs that we're, we have a loss of control or we have something to prove. And and I'd say, you know, sometimes it's good to keep the ego in check and make it less about you and more about them. Yeah. You know, you don't have to agree with it, but maybe, maybe observe and you don't have to necessarily participate. Um, and again, I think the best case scenario is know the outcome that you want when you walk away from the situation. How, how do you see this playing out in order for you to feel like you got the most out of that event? Um, you're walking away still feeling like proud and confident with how you acted. Mm. Uh, you, and you feel like maybe a sense of resolve or relief. Yeah. Uh, walking away. What would need to happen in this situation in order for you to still maintain that? Maintain that. I like that. And it, it, social way like we're we're we're, we're talking yeah. about being pro and, and kind and respectful and um, yeah okay would, so so then a, a really good takeaway is if you have the the daily journaling worksheet and you can download it at stephanieoday.com forward slash daily the first question is how do you want to feel so dr bashaw suggested confident calm powerful and then the next question is how are you going to achieve this? So how are you going to achieve this at this family dinner or at this family occasion where you already don't feel like you're in control because because you're not um, and, and, and deciding on the things that you can control. Can you control how much alcohol you're going to have? Can you control uh, who you're sitting next to and, and different things like that? So focusing on the things that you can control. And then relinquishing the idea that everything looks needs to look like a Hallmark movie because it's not. Um, this is real family and, and real people and not central casting. So <laughs> we, we, we all have our own stuff. But I like that idea of coming in with the idea of of also being compassionate that if you are feeling stretched, and worn out, probably everyone else is feeling that way also. And, and using that lens of, of compassion. And if it helps, um, reward yourself. Decide on purpose what your reward is going to be when you get through this. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe it is a Hallmark movie. Maybe, maybe it's a long bubble bath. Maybe, maybe it's the, the fancy bottle of wine you've been saving. Set something to kind of reward yourself for doing the things that you decided on purpose that um, you're going to do. So 
Dr. Bashaw, how can we find you? So, so your book is Addictive Ideologies. Um, this is really interesting because I was just talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about addictive personalities. Do you think everyone has a little bit of an addictive personality or is it a yes or a no? Um, I'd say there are probably degrees, uh, for different people and, um, some people might be more obsessive or compulsive prone. And I see this a lot in the work that I do in addictions and substance use addictions is sometimes they'll just replace the addiction for a mind or mood altering substance and they'll just transfer that, that obsession to something else like uh, compulsively working out or um, it could be a hobby or an interest that they're developing, but you know, they take it to, to such an extreme or, you know, go into like a codependent relationship because rather than being dependent on a substance, now they're just transferring that into an intimate partner um, and obsessing about them and they lose themselves in it and they're hurting themselves along the way and hurting other people. And yet they feel like they can't quite stop, um, mm-hmm. which is the definition of an addiction. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, so, think- so, so let's, let's highlight that part. So if you hear yourself in all of the things that she just said, the clause at the end is, and if you can't stop. So if you have those thoughts, but you also then can self-regulate, is, is that then you're okay? Like, because we want to win a gold star here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if you, if you can moderate the behavior and it doesn't cause a lot of anxiety or distress in you, okay. then you're probably doing a good job. Okay. If you're not able to really self-regulate as you're saying, and, or when you try it, you, you not really are being able to be successful with that and you can't quite achieve that sense of, you know, regulated emotion or behavioral or even like thought response, then, then you might want to reach out and get a little bit of help. Yeah, just get a little bit of help. Yeah. Move you along, really highlight and identify where, where the problem lies and just really fine tune. It might be a fine tuning. Um, that is needed to help you get through, um, those, those challenges, knowing that that's a tendency of yours and that's okay. You know, yeah. sometimes I think the biggest thing is, you know, and I say this to clients all the time, you know, it might be like a, a real talent of yours or a sophisticated ability, but you need to learn how to master it rather than having it control you. And you're just helpless to it because uh, that's when it becomes problematic. You need to know when to turn it on, when to switch yeah. it off, how to find that balance in that middle path. Yeah. Yeah. Be- beautifully said. And I absolutely agree <laughs> with all of those things. Um, yeah. Very, very, uh, very insightful yeah. and, and helpful because it's tricky because a lot of us have this idea of like, well, is this normal? Is this normal? What about this? Is that normal? And <laughs> And I mean, the interesting thing about Google is you'll find yes or no, depending on whatever you've decided is normal or not, you'll get that answer. And then the algorithm will continue to feed you your answer. So you have this cognitive bias loop proving you correct. Um, so, but hearing from you, that's helpful. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. Think of it as like a superhero ability um, that you you need to know when to turn it on, when to turn it off, um, the strength as well as the limitations of it. Um, and and just being very mindful and aware. And it's important to have that self-analysis and that self-reflection to see how that's working for you. Where people get stuck is when they're in their blind spots and they just don't see it. They don't know that it's a habit. They don't know it's controlling them. Um, and even if people that they love or care about in their lives are mentioning it to them, they're kind of dismissive and minimizing of it. Um, well, it's not a problem for me or I like it um, or it's providing more benefit than you see and uh, just creating some justification. And that that's where it becomes really problematic. Yeah. It's interesting. I just um recorded an episode on on you as a human, as an entrepreneur. And sometimes for me, it's helpful to step away from the person and just look at the data. And if your data is okay and in all of the things and there that's your evidence that you're quote unquote normal and it's fine. And if you don't have people in your life telling you, hey, you should look at this or, or, hey, this is a red flag, that is a sign that you really are on the right path and you're and you're doing okay. Dr. Rashad, thank you for spending time with us and for all of this information. Um, I feel better and more confident, mostly because um, uh, it's all going to be okay. And, and just knowing <laughs> that it's all going to be okay is, is really helpful and that there is no one perfect like recipe or prescription to do all of the things all of the time correctly um and and just taking the information and tweaking and then modifying and fine tuning it and putting it through your own family lens and your own dynamics and yes sometimes it might be better to completely cut off a family member and sometimes it isn't and that's why there's so many shades of gray because if it was only this step-by-step approach every single time, we would all be robots. And, and, and that's not the human experience. The human experience is taking bits and pieces of all of this stuff and then applying it to your own life in your own best way. Um, and you do that so well with your work. And, and I know there's so many people who will be so thankful that, um, they got to meet you. So thank you for being here and we'll make sure to drop all of your links. It's my pleasure. Yeah, your worksheets sound great. Yeah, very helpful tips. I like the questions. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you, Slow Down Society, for being here. I, As always, I think you are amazing and wonderful, and I'm so proud of you. And I will talk to you again next week. Do you have a slow living story to share? Leave me a voicemail at stephanieoday.com forward slash podcast with any questions, comments, feedback, or testimonials, and I will be sure to include it in an upcoming episode. Also, if you found value in this episode, please share it with your family and friends and subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. The more you share, comment, and leave positive reviews, the more people we can reach and share the slow living lifestyle and messaging. 
Thank you, Slow Down Society, and have an absolutely wonderful day.